Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori coming at you with podcast episode number 765. Are we going to do an episode all about McLarens, the 765 long tail? We will not be doing that. It is a very uh, enjoyable car to drive. I did drive. Uh, I drove a long tail once out at uh, the Horse Thief Mile out in California. Uh, it's the track that's kind of off to the side of Willow Springs. So, uh, that's about all we have for you on 765. Get into the comments if there's some other, um, you know, significance in the car world for that. But for now, I'll bring in road test editor, Zach Palmer. What's going on, man? Hey, uh, just enjoying watching the snow out here. Excited to go play around in it later today with uh, some some all-wheel drive cars I have in the driveway with winter tires. So, <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. I've got the 330E, our long-termer, the Bimmer with uh, all-wheel drive and winter uh, winter Nokian tires on it. So, things been a champ. Uh, we've only had maybe two or three significant snowfalls so far this year. This would be like, I guess, the third or fourth. Not worried at all. You know, we, we ended up having a snow day here uh, in my area for like the schools. But I was like, hey, I'll drive. I don't mind. Let's go. You know, um, if there had been school, but there wasn't. So, that thing... That thing's a sled. We'll get to a little more on what I've been doing with that a bit yeah. later in the show. But what what too long or what two winter cars do you have real quick? Yeah, I've got our our EV6 long termer mm. right now. And we just right. just actually fitted some Bridgestone Blizzaks to that. Nice. So I got that for winter. And then I also have a Hyundai Santa Cruz that just arrived in the driveway that uh we're going to touch on later in the show as well. So some all right. some good all-wheel drive Hyundai Kia stuff this all week. Right. So let's do a quick rundown here. Uh, in addition to all of that, we'll talk about a small electric truck that General Motors is considering. Ford's giving you twenty five hundred bucks if you'll give up your spot for the Bronco, just because the demand and the supply is so chaotic. We have a new M three, the CS. Speaking of BMW review reveals, pardon me, Volvo minivan question mark. Uh, and then we'll talk about Haggerty's list of affordable classics that gained value in 2022. I uh, I always enjoy whenever they put out uh, stuff in their magazine or their like their newsletter, which is how I get most of it. Uh, I always find their lists and data on the classic car marketplace to be very interesting. There's a couple cars on there that resonate with me, which is why we're talking about it. Zach, <laughs> you probably know the ones. Uh, so that's most of it. We'll see what all we get to in the reviews section. We've got the Mercedes-Benz EQS 580 SUV, uh, the Hyundai Santa Cruz. I've driven that one. And then we'll close things out with the long-termer uh, BMW. So, let's get right into it. Uh, the small electric truck. Uh, this would actually be, as our subhead says, smaller than the Ford Maverick. Uh, we did this post uh, earlier this week, end of last week, actually. And this would be very entry-level. It would be sort of like even below the Santa Cruz that we just mentioned. Um, I'll just jump in here real quick. My analysis, and I want to hear what you think is, I like yeah. this idea. I think it makes sense to use the truck footprint to reach a new segment of buyers. You know, it doesn't have to be a true truck, truck, if you will. Like the Maverick, I think is very capable, but it was essentially a replacement for the Ford Focus and the C segment, you know, and you're going to bring in people who think, Hey, the Maverick, that sounds cool. What's that? That truck looks cool. Let me get that. But it's much more diminutive. It offers more functionality than a Focus ever would. You're offering somewhat of a similar like price range, so you're going to get customers who are like, "Well, hey, I 
I have 20, $25,000, $30,000. Who knows where the market is going to go with inflation? And this is, uh, this will be my entry point. And I like that. It's almost like what the Ranger used to be or the S10, you know, back when these were really like cheap trucks that people would buy perhaps before they had acquired the means to get other things. And you didn't have to buy, like, you could buy a Ranger and take it to college. You know, you wouldn't buy a, necessarily an F 150, you know, to go to college. The Ranger could be what you would drive from North Lot A to go back to the dorms. Um, so I think, kind of a random example, but yeah, I think they should do it. What do you think? Yeah, I think that if the Maverick has taught us anything from Ford is that there is high desirability out there for a small, affordable pickup, uh, whether it be a hybrid uh, or the two-liter turbo Maverick, which is a little more pricey. Uh, whatever it might be, people are interested in, in buying these very small utility vehicles. Making it electric and giving us a base price of around $30,000, as this report suggests, uh, I think that that is an instant winner. Just any sort of an EV, honestly, around the $30,000 price point automatically lights my eyes up these days because, well, there are not many things around there. I mean, you, you can right. probably get into a Nissan Leaf, like a Chevy Bolt. Uh, but, you know, if there's a little Chevy pickup, you know, that has has a real bed, you know, you can you can toss a few people in there, a few things and go out and, I don't know, 240, 250 miles of range. I think that that's that's a winner, um, and uh, you know, if if it follows some of the same trends that GM has has been doing so far for its EVs, maybe the initial one is some first edition that costs forty five fifty thousand dollars. But if they can hit that price point with a small truck, with all of the features that you need, you know, have have a nice screen, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, uh, air conditioning. Uh, all of just some basic necessities, I think that this thing is is going to be really, really good. And it would be smart of GM to actually follow through on this. I know that the, the report itself is a little speculative as to whether they'll actually develop and build it. Uh, but I think that now that the idea is out there, I haven't heard a single person say anything negative about it. I feel like everybody's sort of for this amongst the industry and whatnot. So yeah, I gave it two big thumbs up. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. I, I this is one of the reasons I got into reading um, car stuff, whether it was Motor Trend or Automotive News. Is I always like these like forward-looking future products that try to like tie together. You know, hey, this might happen here. Here's a a picture of like the Chevy Montana, how it could look. So I just I always like this kind of speculative stuff. I think it's really cool. Uh, not speculative, uh, this has been confirmed by Ford spokespeople that Ford will offer you, uh, it looks like up to $2,500 um, if you will change your order from the Bronco to something else. Uh, this has been reported by us, the Free Press, Cars Direct, a number of sites have really picked up on this. It's, I, I mean, I'm sure this has happened before. You know, you're around long enough, there's really nothing that happens for the first time, but uh, this is the first time I can remember it. It's to me, it's very significant, um, especially because you know it's like you've been waiting for so long, and then this is sort of like, well, it's almost like the I don't know, just something to like satisfy people, which it is. You know, hey, it's going to be a while. Here's twenty five hundred bucks. Do you want you know something else? Um, so I don't know. I mean, would you take the deal? 
It's oh man, honestly, it's it, it's kind of silly to me. If I have been in line for a Bronco for say like two years now, and somebody's like, "Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give you twenty five hundred dollars if you don't buy this Bronco," I'm gonna say absolutely not. Like I I, I don't know, like the the replacements that you know you, you could theoretically buy. Okay, so you could go buy a Bronco Sport Edge Escape Expedition Explorer F one fifty or Ranger, is what Ford says. None of those replace a Bronco in my eyes. It's like, all right, if, if I'm not going to get my Bronco, maybe I'll just go buy a Jeep Wrangler because that's the only other vehicle like this uh, that is that is out there. Um, now, one thing that I will point out is that it's not just switching vehicles that you could theoretically get this $2,500. Uh, if you drop some of the uh, options that are in high demand, Ford says that they'll also give you the $2,500 and you get to keep your Bronco allocation. Um, some examples being the color hardtop, the Lux package, and the Sasquatch package. Obviously, if you're somebody who wants to go wheeling in your Bronco, you order the Sasquatch package, you probably don't want to cut that because there's a lot of capability there. But, you know, I, I feel like I'd, I'd probably be okay, uh, you know, losing the hardtop, swapping to a soft top, um, and saving 2500 bucks, And then maybe when demand dies down in a few years i just go buy a hard top that uh you know hopefully will be in mass availability at that point um so from that perspective yeah maybe to go ahead and switch away away from a bronco though that i just i don't think that i could justify that if i'm like super jazzed about like i want this new ford bronco a ford ranger or an explorer just is not gonna i don't know i feel get that uh same same desire for an adventuring off-roader <laughs> yeah i same i i think you know to me the bronco is one of those vehicles that is it is a halo vehicle it's created a buzz you want it because of how it looks and what you can do with it and how much fun you're going to have driving that um i mean there's some pretty nice things on here that i like a lot you know like if you were looking to get into like like i've i personally have always liked the ranger even though it's old as hell um but i mean the F-150 is on there, you know, the Explorer, the Expedition. Like if you were thinking, you know, and this is where you'd have to really like make a cold case, like business decision, like, you know, the family was thinking of getting into an Expedition. I can save 2,500 bucks. Maybe I go ahead and do that. Um, that being said, on most of these vehicles, given the price, it's kind of a drop in the bucket. You know, mm -hmm. it's almost to me more of a symbolic move. So I would most likely not take the deal. I would just try to wait it out. Uh, like you, I would also maybe, if like I wasn't married to some of these options, I might be a little more flexible there, depending also on the climate too. Like the hardtop, I think it's the color molded hardtop is the option. Uh, if I really wanted that, I don't know, that, that is kind of a deal breaker too, you know? So, but I, would, I might be willing to negotiate there if they were like, hey, we've got this thing on the lot. Um, and go there. The only people I think I could see really going for this might be, you know, we've like when the lightning was announced, um, Tesla's, some of the electric Cadillacs, like we all know people that just throw their name on the online order form and they're not totally serious for some of these. Maybe if that's you and somehow you're still in the queue <laughs> or like a Tesla, sure. And you're like, well, actually, I need a car. I guess I'll take the deal. But I, I don't think most people would go for this, just given the passion that surrounds the Bronco. Yeah, I 
I, I feel like if I'm out here ordering a new car, whether it be a Bronco, maybe I want a Civic Type R, maybe I want a Super or something like that. Like I sort of want it the way I want it and Indeed. I don't want a replacement. <laughs> I don't want anything else. So I, I, I imagine that, that Ford will get a very small amount of pickup and, and people would actually take them up on it. It's interesting too, because on one hand, it's sort of a good PR move, you know, yeah. but also it like, Hey, we're doing this. You don't like, we get it. We can help you. But they also didn't exactly market it as such. Like one of the, like, I think it was Cars Direct discovered it. And then more of our, like the mainstream outlets like us and some of the newspapers picked up on it. It also didn't sound like something they super wanted to advertise either. Like, so I could see it kind of cutting both ways. Um, but yeah, and I mean, one of the blessings and the curses of the Bronco is you can get so many different trims and options. It's very cool, just like the Wrangler. So, you know, it's, I think most people would be pretty particular. You know, you don't go into the saying, yeah, give me the, give me the SEL trim, Fred. I'll just take whatever, you know, it's like you want the Outer Banks or you want the Sasquatch and you want the options that you could get on that as well. So Bronco, man. Let's just shift gears over to the CS, the BMW M3. This is kind of cool. For those of you listening, uh, this dropped uh, Tuesday evening onto our site. A little bit of a reveal, which, you know, we're kind of in that quiet season in between auto shows. It's it's not bad. You wrote the story, Zach. Uh, pictures are pretty awesome. What I do you did, think of this yeah. thing? Yeah, man, the, the, the pictures. It's, uh, well, it's in this crazy BMW individual signal green. Uh, mm-hmm. It's 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 tough to describe. I, I don't know. It, is it sort of like a neon? I I don't want to say puke, but like uh, <laughs> a, a very a very uh, vibrant green color. All right. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, if 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 you've done much reading up on the M4 CSL, the M3 CS is very similar with with a few exceptions. Um, right off the top, auto only, all wheel drive, more power, less weight. Um, and way, way, way more expensive. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty similar to what we've seen BMW do with CS models in the past. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's definitely for that hardcore BMW M enthusiast. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, if you, uh, if, if you want the absolute best from, from the factory that is possible, this looks like it's going to be it. Um, you know, and maybe if you didn't like the way the normal M3 looked, well, they gave it a, a new grill, same grill that's off the M4 CSL, has red accents all over the place, wow. um, car- a bunch of carbon fiber everywhere. And one of my favorite touches, which is actually, I, I think it's going to be a trend on a lot of new BMW models that are like CS or CSL, is it gets the yellow lights up front, sort of like, like a those. racing heritage touch. Yeah, yeah the, the the M5 CS had it last year, and that was the first BMW with those yellow lights. And everybody was like, wow, these are awesome. These are so cool. So I think that BMW sort of read the room and was like, all right, we're going to put the yellow lights on the really cool exclusive models. Um, and this one has it as well. So, yeah, 543 horsepower, 0 to 60 and 3.2, dollars if if you're doing some some quick math, that's thirty six thousand dollars more than an M3 competition X Drive, just a base one. Uh, so I guess like I said up the top, you really kind of want to 
want it to go spend the money on this. Uh, but it looks like a really cool package, especially if you're planning on tracking it. This this is uh, sort of ready ready for the racetrack as soon as it rolls off off the factory floor. It, it even comes with Michelin Pilot Sport Cup 2 tires, so don't even have to buy tires for it. Um, what do you think of this thing? <laughs> I, I mean, I love it. I think it's, you know, it's got all the, the basics offered as evidence, if you will. It's, you know, everything you need. I think with the 8-speed and all-wheel drive, and then, of course, all the track goodies, it's just going to be like a demon on like, you know, I'm picturing trying to lap like Monticello and, you know, the Catskills upstate New York. I think that would be like, that's the kind of track that I picture this thing really being at home at. Uh, I like the design and you call it some of the like the lighting and accents, which I think just give you a little bit something extra, kind of like a surprise and delight for your money. Um, it would not be perhaps what I would go with if I was just looking to get a fast like three series or M3 even, you know, I think I would, you know, probably, I don't, I don't think I would go with this. I think I would probably stay with something, you know, a little farther down the lineup or, you know, as we saw, I believe this was revealed last year, the M4 CSL. I mean, that yeah. if you really want to get severe uh, and take it to a track, I mean, that thing's just like a, that's a riot. So I think if I were going to like really be a track rat, I might go with that one. Yeah. And I feel like, so just strolling through the comments here, I, most of the beef that I've seen from this car since it's been revealed has been the fact that it is all wheel drive and auto only, which, mm -hmm. all right, Halo BMW, I can see a lot of, you know, purists, you want a rear wheel mm -hmm. drive, manual car. Um, Having driven the all-wheel drive and automatic M3 and M4 on track, um, it's pretty impossible to deny that, that that is the ideal setup for this car for track driving and to have the most fun on track. Um, I've, I've driven manual M3s and M4s, and, you know, the, the manual transmission is unfortunately not as fun as we wish it would be. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's not a really great manual gearbox. So the fact that it is an automatic only doesn't really upset me that much. Um, and that all-wheel drive system is just an absolute beast on the track. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to worry about it feeling any understeery or anything like that. The thing is tail happy like crazy. And it even has the uh, classic BMW MX drive shut off where you can throw it in the rear wheel drive mode only and do donuts to your heart's delight. So it can be a absolute hoonmobile and crazy car if, if you want it to be still. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Those takes, I just, I think, you know, the, the manual transmissions that I've experienced um, in different, you know, speedy BMWs, I mean, yeah, they're fun, but you know, to me, the, they're not as like effective on a track as you would be with that eight speed. And I think if you're going to buy that car, that's kind of what you want to do. You know, you're, you're trying to make an enthusiast, but also a little bit of a business decision. And it's the eight speed, a great transmission too. So, you know, I mean, I think they sort of made the decision for you, which is, which is okay. I don't think I would step up to, you know, either of these cars we've discussed, either the M3 CS or the M4 CSL. I would, I don't even know if I do an M3 competition. I think I just do an M3, you know, that's kind of where I would land. Just a nice sort of daily driver, if you will, for an enthusiast editor type who wants to like have some fun, but 
you know, I don't know, something I just, I don't need to be on that ragged edge of life, you know, and you're not going to roll up to, you know, Laguna Seca and M3 and, and an M3 and somebody's going to laugh at you. Like you still have everything you need. So that's how I would probably play it. I, I don't disagree with you. Having driven a number of the M3 and M4 variants now, all will drive manual automatic. The most fun I had was still just driving an M4 yeah. Not a competition, just yep. just a base one with a manual. Uh, it's it was just the most, I guess, the most pure expression of of that car, and uh, the fact that you're going zero to sixty in about four seconds instead of three point two didn't really bother me that much because I was yeah. having more fun. So, <laughs> at this yep. point, it's like if you're looking at zero to sixty times, you got to go electric if you want to get something below three. You know, I mean, it, you, there are some crazy cars that are super fast below that. But as far as like the the mainstream, like sort of sports sedans that still have, you know, an internal combustion engine, even with some light hybridization or something. Yeah. And, but to me, I don't I don't necessarily care about that. You know, like, yeah, yeah you could do zero to 60 in 2.7 and something, something electric car. But going in 3.2 in something that's going to be like just this, you know, righteous, you know, snarling, you know, in line six, that sounds awesome. You know, and who cares about zero to 60 times? Like really, who cares? You know, I mean, after a certain point, let's put it that way. I, I completely agree. I, I think that we had an opinion piece on, on the site a while ago, like yeah. we need to stop caring about zero to 60 times because uh, everything is fast today. Everything is yeah. unbelievably quick. Um, so at, at a certain point it, it stops mattering and how our car makes you feel is the most important thing. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, there, there's no real good transition here because we're going <laughs> to go over to minivans, but I think this is interesting. Yeah, this is a report. Minivans. <laughs> minivans, right? Well, Hey, we're getting one. We're getting a Sienna that I believe it arrived yeah. yesterday. More on that to come, right? Indeed. More, more to come on a long-term Sienna. But hey, we've got, I think there's room in the market for more minivans. I say this as someone who has a young child, so maybe I'm a little bit biased here, but there's not that many out there, you know, and at preschool drop-off, you get a pretty good cross-section of what's available in the minivan market <laughs> and also what people could do with it. You know, you see everything from like the top, uh, what is the top Honda trim? The Elite or whatever? Elite. Like see, yeah. Elite, Elite. You see those. So, but I just think there's more choice, you know, the... The Carnival is another one. I saw one it drop off the other day. This guy has like that kind of like, I always use this term. It's not the right color. Nardo gray. You know, I always go back to what Audi used to put on. It's like RS cars, but that's the color it looks like on this guy's minivan. His Carnival looks awesome. Uh, the Odyssey, you see a million Pacificas in this area, obviously. A lot of Pacifica hybrids too. Um, and some Sienna's as well. And that's it. You know, Ford and GM, no thanks. They don't want to do it. No. Luxury makers are not, that's not their jam. Um, forgetting if I left anybody out, but that's like the ones you see. Let me put it that way. So if Volvo that's, were to get into the space, you could you could make some make some hay, I think. You know, the report last week is um basically about a minivan that might, you know, go on sale like uh in the China market. Uh and it's got uh, you know, we've seen some like images if you will of it but it's potentially could come here we don't really know but it would be built and sold there first and then as you know we've reported it would share some parts 
uh, with like an existing model that we don't really know about. And I'm just kind of reading from Ronan Glan, one of our uh, contributors reports from last week. So, I mean, we're kind of reading the tea leaves here, but I let me put it this way. I think if Volvo did a minivan, probably electric for the US, if they sourced it from somewhere else, bingo, please do. I think that would be a great move for them. Yeah, man. Do I see it happening though? I, I feel like the chances are very low of us getting a Volvo branded minivan here. I, I feel like Volvo would almost much rather sell the, the EX90 electric big 3.0 SUV. But man, it sure would be cool um, to see like an actual Volvo design minivan. Yeah. Uh, the Swedish design, the interior on that would just be magnificent. Have three giant rows of Volvo-ness in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one of the coolest things about this report is that it would have a dual motor all-wheel drive system that is good for around 544 horsepower. So for anybody who is kind of wanting that Pacifica Hellcat, this mm, is yeah. kind of the closest idea to it. <laughs> Your move, um, Ralph Gilles, come on. Yeah, like uh, when was the last time you uh, heard of a minivan with over 500 horsepower? I don't think ever <laughs> yeah. unless it was something from the aftermarket so that's uh that's just something uh beautiful that electrification is is bringing us just slap some big motors in there uh and boom your minivan is going zero to 60 in uh maybe the low fours which is just plain hilarious uh want to talk about getting kids to the uh preschool pickup line on time yeah you will You'll have no trouble if uh, Volvo releases a, a minivan with over 500 horsepower. Uh, granted, that power and all that luxury will certainly come with a price. Um, I would expect it to be like the most expensive minivan ever sold. Uh, if, yeah. uh, if, if for whatever reason, they decided to bless us with it. But uh, we're heading deep into speculative territory, I feel. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, I'm so. more on the hypothetical side of things, right? So I think yeah. they could do it. I think it could fit with them too, you know, because Volvo is definitely a brand that, uh, you know, they play off safety. They have a bit of a premium halo as well. Yes, so it just it feels like that's something that parents of child age, of young children would steer into. So I love it. What I I mean that and or Volvo, please give us a wagon with the rearward facing third row. I guess there's there's yeah, my no, other that would be uh, fun. That would like be an fun. electric a big electric wagon. Bring back the rearward facing third row, and I I might be just as happy. So there we go. There we go. All right. Well, let's talk about some affordable classics. This uh, comes to us from Haggerty. It landed in my inbox. Uh, I get their like sort of Saturday newsletter where they recap just their different data from the last week or two and different reports. So I think it's always interesting. Uh, I don't get their magazine, but maybe I should. I don't know. Usually stuff is pretty interesting. I guess I don't have their insurance, nor do I need to at this moment. Uh, but more on that in a minute, maybe. Um, so yeah, I mean, these are just five affordable classics. And I find this interesting when you're kind of watching... Like I like to have the Meekum or Barrett Jackson auctions just on like on whatever channel they're on. I don't even know what channel it is. Like just in the background sometimes during the workday is like almost white noise. And then you look up and you see like a fun car. But I mean, to me, the collecting game is it is changing. It's very fluid. We're moving past like, you know, it's not just like 
you know, traditional domestics or expensive classics from the 30s or even like the Radwood stuff. It's like, you know, more enthusiasts of different ages are coming into the hobby, into like the area, the industry, such as it is, and they're bringing with them different cars. And not everybody has 60 grand for a 72 Chevelle or a hundred grand for like, you know, some expensive Jaguar from, you know, the fifties or the nineties, you know? So that's why I found this piece kind of interesting because there were so many different things here to it. Real quick, the writer names off the Maserati Bi-Turbo, which rose 45%. I thought that's really interesting. And you can get one of those in the 20,000 range. There's a Mitsubishi Starion, which I totally forgot about, but is I think that's an awesome like design from the the 1980s. Oh, it's, it's super Conquest too. Yeah. So I, I uh, agree. A couple of Chevys on here too, uh, and then a Volvo, which we were just talking about, 240. Uh, this is the 81 to 93, and and then the 73 to 76 Chevelle Laguna Type S, and uh, the Caprice, which is the sister car of the uh, Impala from the mid 90s. Uh, we saw a lot of values. They saw a lot of values increase for them, but they're still like affordable. Like you don't have to have made it per se to get one of these cars. So it was my kind of takeaway from the list. And to me, it was just, it was interesting to see some of those like sort of obscure designs like the, like the Maserati and the Chrysler slash Mitsubishi, like from the not too distant past start to really like go up in value, but it's still in like a range where like, you know, it can be your third or fourth toy car. No, I, uh, you know, saying that it, you could go pick up, I don't know, like an early nineties Maserati for maybe yeah. around $20,000, yeah. you know, okay. Maybe it sounds like a terrible idea on paper, but when you say you, it out loud, <laughs> it really does. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe but, not as bad as picking up an early eighties Mitsubishi, but yeah, you know, I don't know. And you know, I I honestly don't really know how these these bi turbos drive, but the idea of it sounds yes. very interesting. Just the fact to have an old Maserati in the garage, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool looking. It's kind of wedgy and and fun, um, and it's cheap. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, 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 if I were to get any of these cars off this list, though, I feel like it would probably be the Starion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just I feel like more more my kind of vibe. It's a cool coupe. It's got like a neat big hatchback glass and uh, flip up headlights, which God, I just love. And the, the, the interiors on these things are just like spaceships, like so, so cool inside. Um, the, the fact that Haggerty's over here saying that they're in the $20,000 range is actually a little surprising to me and that they're, mm-hmm. that they're a little more expensive than I thought they were going to be. But I guess a lot of people are realizing that they're actually super cool cars. Um, pretty early turbocharged stuff, and uh, yeah, it's neat. I'm 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 gonna go ahead and take a guess that that, that you'd be really into the Caprice on this list, uh, but uh, I I don't know if there's any any others in, in particular that you'd want to put in the garage. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. I actually have the Chevelle on here in the garage. Um, yes. I remember yeah. you saying that a while ago. You had that old Chevelle. <laughs> yeah. So that honestly is what kind of piqued my interest just when I saw that because it's not a car that even like people like us that read a lot about cars, that's just not one that comes up in like your feeds much. So um, 
that's slightly, I would say, like reinforcing because my brother and I are putting some money into like our parents' old 73 Chevelle. It's a 350 Malibu. Um, so it's somewhat solidifying that, hey, maybe it's not just a total money pit. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I respect the, you know, the, the iconic like 68 to 72 Chevelles that came before it. And those are the ones that go easily go for 40, 50, 60 or more, uh, you know, on the, like at auction or for sale. Uh, but to me, this is more like the Malays era muscle car. Uh, the the Laguna Type S is, I think, one that was lost to history. Even is like somebody who likes muscle cars and likes muscle cars from this era. I didn't know about it until recently. It's like sort of like uh, a top of the line model that I think it debuted in 74, I want to say. And it, you know, it's just the you know, it was another high powered, relatively speaking of the time. Uh, but all of those Chevelles, especially 73 to 76 specifically are like attainable because the ones that came before them were so, are so desirable and so expensive. You know, uh, I like these obviously, like I've said, but, um, you know, it's, I think it's the other thing too, is with the passage of time, um, like 1973 was a really long time ago. 50 years ago, you know, it's not as much like, you know, like with sort of the malaise era muscle growing up, whether it's like the eighties or even more like the nineties, like with you, you can still see a lot of cars from the seventies on the road. Like it was not that uncommon. Now it's 2023. You might as well be showing up with a model T or a spaceship or something in between with one of these, you know, it's not quite like there is like preserved as like, you know, some of the 60s and 50s muscle cars. And then the Caprice, you know, yeah, you, I guess you know me a little bit. It's like an affordable <laughs> version of the Impala. Exactly. But, you know what I would say though, like we were talking about with the Bronco, I don't think I'd go cheap here. I think I'd, yeah. I'd go with the Impala. I would keep looking for one. It's outrageous the, the premium you have to pay uh, for like an Impala SS versus a Caprice. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of bought into the hype, you know, they are the same car basically, but, um, you know, yeah, I think I might, I would probably still hold out if I were on the market looking for one, I would try to go with the Impala versus the Caprice. Uh, but you can always make your own Impala SS, if you will, you know, get one of these and you know, you can make one. So. No, I, I completely get that. You know, you, you have a car that you want. The Caprice is not the Impala. And that's, yeah. that's, that's all that sort of needs to be said, honestly. Yeah, no, you're hundred <laughs> percent uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that, that's cool. I, I hope that the, uh, Chevelle continues to get more, more notoriety. Maybe, maybe more people will know what it is when you drive by on Woodward, uh, yeah. and, uh, cruise around in yours. So <laughs> we'll see. It's, I believe it's, it's either in pieces or it's about to be yeah. uh, a friend of my brother's is kind of like working on it. We, I had never even heard of the type S until a couple summers ago. We had an opportunity to buy one is sort of like the parts car, uh, which, you know, sort of, you could get the car, maybe it doesn't even have tags or whatever, and then take all the pieces and it's cheaper than trying to buy all the other pieces. But it didn't go through. It was a little more than we wanted to pay for a parts car, if you will. Yeah. Like it was definitely getting into like, I don't know if you want to do it this way. Uh, but a Type S is definitely sort of a value play too, because they are pretty rare. 
Um, so we do have another parts car that we got at a very cheap, very cheap rate. And it's got like this random like 68 Chevelle engine in it, like the base V8 for back then. I can't remember what it is. Did not come with the car, obviously, originally. It was essentially a good way to get all the body panels at once. So donor cars, man. I don't know. I will see. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. All right. So real quick, the Cadillac Blackwing badges will be available. Uh, this is kind of cool. I think I tend to be of the volition that I don't know, I like to be very minimal with my badging. I like like what they do in like Germany specifically where there's just no badges. And then you're like, oh yeah, that guy's got something. So I, I tend to think I might do that, but these look pretty good and they're pretty subtle too. The font is pretty small. The type is pretty small. Uh, I guess I should ask Byron Hurd, our associate editor, who is a Blackwing owner. But I mean, would you go for the badges? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So I was, I was actually talking about this with him earlier this week. Um, He's not a, I, I don't know, he, he didn't really express that he likes the new Blackwing badge all that much. Okay. I, I, I sort of tend to agree with him in that, like, I wish I got a little more creative with it. Um, almost gave it, uh, like, I don't know, made the whole badge black and or maybe gave it, like, some black wings. Uh, really sort of go into that name itself just because I feel like it lends itself to uh, a little bit of extra flair and, and design. Um but like you said, if you want something that is subtle, this is rather subtle. It just sort of sits underneath the V-badge. Um, this is sort of the first time I've ever heard of something where it's like, all right, maybe you bought the car like a year or two years ago, and the factory has decided, well, I think we're going to start putting Blackwing badges on new cars. So everybody that bought one for the past year and a half can come swing by the dealership and pick up their free Blackwing badge. Uh, it, it's just sort of a, a weird, funky way of, of going about it. I don't know if Blackwing owners complained. It's like, oh, there's no Blackwing badge. It just says V on it. You can't really tell. Uh, at the same time, I, I feel like a lot of Blackwing owners might have liked that. It's like the only mm -hmm. way to pick out like a, a V Blackwing versus just a regular V. You know, you could see the wider fender flares, the bigger wheels, the bigger brakes hiding under there, the slightly different front front bumper and splitter design a slightly different uh rear spoiler just a bunch of like really small things that enthusiasts would notice but doesn't really set you apart on the road it's not like there's some mm. crazy wing or graphics or yeah. you know wild exhaust system down there that that uh, really hints at it it's a bit of a sleeper look um but if you don't like that sleeper look that much now there's a badge that will tell everybody what it is <laughs> i think i would do it upon further review as i just because it's so subtle like it's even more subtle than i initially thought so i think i would do yeah. it one thing i would recommend to like all car companies when the hellcat first launched this was like really early like i don't even know if this is a pre-pro car a few of them said hellcat on the front quarter panel like right next to the tire uh, and i remember having one in my driveway and it looked sweet um, I don't know if there was like a hang up on the logo or something like, cause you might notice that the Hellcat crest looks pretty similar to like the Jaguar <laughs> head a little <laughs> bit. And I remember hearing rumors back in like 2014 that there was a bit of a, like a hang up. I, I don't know if that was true, but I just remember that. And I remember the car I had, I'm almost positive had Hellcat written on the fenders. So I would love it if it said this, like if I had a CT4 or five Blackwing, it just said that right on the front quarter panels. I think that would be 
Awesome. I guess I could do that if I were an owner. I could go get the badge and put it on there myself. Um, but that's how I would like it to be done from the factory versus, I think they're on the trunk, right? They're on the deck lid in the back. So, for the uh, for the Hellcat or the for the, the Cadillac, the, the yes for yeah. for the Cadillac, they're right there, like right yeah. the tail light yeah. on on the rear. No, I, I I do really like the way that the Dodge does that, where they just put the little Hellcat on, yeah. on the side, and then when if you get a red eye, the little uh, Hellcat itself has a red yeah. eye in it. Yeah, like, that it, is it's cool. just like really really cool things like that, that uh, I feel like it, it enthusiasts just eat up uh, mm -hmm. small little symbolic things. Um, and that and that was sort of where I was going with like, all right, give us like some black wing figurine almost mm -hmm. to give like that sort of symbol. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. And this is this is too much like a novel or some like weird symbolism. But that it, the, the idea sounds fun in my head. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. So let's go transition to electric. You were in the, let's see, you're in the EQE, uh, EQS, excuse me. I don't know if I said EQE off the top, but it's the EQS 580 SUV. Um, last week, Snyder, John Snyder and I were talking about on this very show that the EQ name may be going away. Um, maybe that's not a bad idea since even I'm mixing them up and I've driven a few of them. But this is the, the S class of electric SUVs from Mercedes. Well, that's a headline right there. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, so I uh, I both really liked it, and I was also slightly annoyed by it at at the same time. I okay. feel um, what annoyed they're, you? Yeah, they're they're just a, a few hangups. One of them being the brakes. Um, okay. I was talking about this with associate editor Joel Stocksdale last week too. Uh, the regen process modes and everything they're just not great. Like there's there's not a single one that I I I, I was able to settle on that is like all right, that's just right. Because when you have it on the strong regen that is theoretically one pedal driving, mm -hmm. uh, when you get down to about five miles per hour, the car doesn't actually coast to a stop. It just keeps coasting and you actually have to hit the brakes as opposed to just lifting your foot off the accelerator and having the car stop. Uh, so that's kind of annoying. And it's really difficult to do smoothly at that, like the last second, just bringing the car down to a halt. Um, and then the, the only mode that actually does bring it to a full stop is this uh, intelligent recuperation mode, which basically just relies on there being a car in front of you. Uh, if there is a car in front of you coasting to a stop, it will also coast to a stop. And that is just slightly nerve wracking. It's not adaptive cruise control or anything. It's just sensing that there's a car in front of you and slowing down with you. Um, and the, I don't know, they, they're just very unsmooth. And the, the, the transition, when I did find that transition between regen and actually mechanical brakes was also like really really difficult to modulate and unsmooth which just didn't feel very mercedes like um and it was sort of unlike the the, the car in a lot of ways and like this is a super comfy car uh had had the aromatic suspension uh you know it, it rides as as well as anything out there it's one of the things that i really really did like about it is just you know just like you said off the top the s class of mercedes suvs uh, it rides like an S-Class, just kind of glides over everything. You don't feel the bumps. Um, uh, another thing that, going back to the, the the parts that annoyed me, was just the design in general. Mm. I don't like the way this thing looks. I didn't really like the way the EQS sedan looked either. It kind of just looks like a, 
blobish minivan, but not even like a minivan. It just feels very, very devoid of any sort of character um, or style. Like when you look at a Mercedes-Benz GLS class, like the gasoline-powered one, that thing has presence. You know, it looks expensive. It has a big, bold front end. Uh, has a nice squared-off rear, uh, and it uh, it just looks, you know, like a Mercedes-Benz should look in my eyes. This EQS SUV, on the other hand, just feels rather character characterless. Uh, there's just not a lot going on. It's very everything is smoothed out to get that super great coefficient of drag. But uh, at the same time, I'm going to say that others are able to get a super low coefficient of drag and also make their big SUVs look good, like the Audi e-tron. I think that that thing looks really sharp, and it's also very slick through the air. You know, maybe you don't like the way the BMW iX looks, but at least it's going for something. Uh, I, I think that the, the the design is is a lot more than what this EQS SUV has to offer. Um, but away from the bad, the good. This 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 was the 580. It's quick. It's it's really quick. Uh, 4.5 seconds to 60 with from from the dual motor all-wheel drive system, which was really nice. Um, and of course, the interior. If you like the hyperscreen, which you've probably seen in, in a lot of Mercedes at this point, you're going to like this too. Um, super responsive, really quick, a lot of great luxury features. Um, it, uh, it feels its price. It was $135,000. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's way more luxurious than you know, something you'll find like a Tesla Model X. Um, so you're, you're paying for that luxury and you're also getting that luxury. Um, just those, those few sort of refinement things that I feel like Mercedes normally gets right, uh, just kind of left me wanting for more in this thing. It just, uh, and also I'll, I, I also point out the, 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 the range around 270 miles. It's fine and all, but we're also driving it in, in Michigan winter. Um, like it was, I don't know, around 25 or so degrees when I had it. Around 100% charge, you know, you're you're obviously going to take that hit, um, and you know this this big massive expensive car only reading around 225 230 miles of range, it's you know it hurts a little. <laughs> um, yeah. Needless to say, maybe you don't need that range, but when you're paying that much money, I almost feel like I want more from the car. So I would agree. I think that's where you need the like the facts, the metrics to be a little stronger, if you will, uh, yeah. to back up the price. It reminds me a little bit from a di design standpoint of a modern day R-Class electric version. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it a little bit. That's good. Yeah. So I don't think that's what they were going for. I think we also need to be careful what we wish for. We've been talking about specifically the German car brands, how their design has gotten overwrought. But then it's like, whoa, wait a minute. When they go simplistic, you know, you get like the EQS, uh, the EQE, the SUV, you know, complementary vehicles. And they're they're pretty austere, you know, they're pretty basic, you know, as far as the design standpoint. Obviously, elegant, simple, still expensive, but I mean, you're talking like, you know, this is a simple look. Let's put it that way. Without the Mercedes three point star on it, which I don't know if it glows or not. Um, it does. It does. does it glow? Okay. Well, thank goodness for that. It know, probably right? is cutting into your range too, right? Um, you know, I don't know. It's a little anonymous. So. 
anecdotally, it, it really didn't get that many looks. Like versus uh, e- even like the, the EQS sedan, that, that thing was, was yeah. W- w- when I drove it, I got all the attention. I, I feel like that was, was a rock star for me. Yeah, I was constantly breaking necks. With this SUV, I feel like I kind of just blended into the rest of the SUV traffic on the road and nobody really gave it a second glance. I was just kind of anonymously moving around, which eh, maybe if you want that, then it, 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 it has that going for it. But I don't know. I certainly wanted something with, with more presence for the price that I was paying. Yeah. So uh, speaking of something that has presence, how about the uh the hyundai santa cruz i've driven this a couple times i've i've enjoyed it uh it's been a little while now at this point but it's it's a very interesting vehicle we talked earlier about small trucks and the increasing prominence that we're seeing uh for them and the attention consumers are paying to them is just like finally like that lifestyle vehicle that car companies like throw out there i think you're starting to see it gain a little bit of traction where like maybe you just you just want like something that looks like this and has a bed, even if you don't totally need it or you think you need it, but you don't. Um, you know, for a while when we went to midsize trucks like 10, 15 years ago, uh, I remember, you know, like Ram in, in particular was like scoffing at GM. They were like, what are you doing? Who, who needs this thing? I, you know, joke was on the the gentleman. I forget the CEO's name, but yeah, look at how well GM did with that. And where's your midsize truck 15 years later? Point being is like maybe those midsize trucks weren't the like the like daily driver utility lifestyle vehicle. They were basically trucks, you know, drive around a GMC Canyon or a Ranger, and that's still a lot of truck. But you get into the Maverick, the Santa Cruz, who knows, maybe a GM electric small type thing. And that's something anybody might want to drive for any reason. So uh, all that is to preface, uh, what did you do with the Santa Cruz? Yeah. So the, uh, man, I'll sort of start this off with my initial opinion of the Ford Maverick. Uh, Weird way to start maybe. But uh, no, when I initially drove that, I drove it in its two liter turbocharged form. And I thought, wow, this is a really fun truck. This thing is quick. It handles well. Uh, it has a lot going for it. Then I hopped into this Santa Cruz, and it was the it, this thing is a limited turbocharged model, uh, fully loaded, and thought, "Wow, that Maverick was a little boring to drive." Actually, this Santa Cruz is uh, shockingly a bit of a riot. Uh, the 2.5 turbo engine is super powerful. Uh, the transmission is pretty quick to shift, and this thing handles much more like uh, a nicely planted crossover than a pickup yeah. truck. Uh, I was just mostly shocked at how much fun it was to drive. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, and and that's even versus the that, that Maverick, which I thought was actually pretty fun to drive too. Um, so if, if you like driving, this thing is not a penalty box. This thing is not like a pickup truck, like a F-150. Don't expect it to be anything like that. It's, it's actually going to be fun. Um, a few things on on the interior. I feel like Hyundai has some learning to do with uh, like what maybe truck buyers might want. Maybe it's not a traditional truck buyer who buys a Santa Cruz, but I feel like at the same time, this the thing is like loaded with touch haptic buttons. Even the volume knob is is this touch haptic uh, thing that you have to press as opposed to like just twisting a knob. 
feels like a bit of a mess with a truck. Like the Maverick is full of these nice clicky buttons everywhere and, a, and, and, and great knobs. The Santa Cruz is like, all right, we're going to have this very tech forward look, but it just, it's not as usable. And it, it's honestly kind of annoying on, on a daily basis to use those controls. Um, but uh, I mean, overall, this, this thing is, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a slightly different buyer than a Maverick just because the fully loaded Santa Cruz I'm at is $41,000. Maverick doesn't get much more than 30 at this point. Um, you know, if, if, if you're looking at something that has, has a small bed and you actually want to still have fun with this thing with, with, with the turbo engine, I feel like it makes a good argument for itself. I just feel like it's not a traditional truck buyer. Like if you're a more of a traditional truck buyer, you're going to like the Maverick a little more than this um, is, is, is sort of where I, I feel like I finally land on it. Um, great design though. I feel like right as you said off the top, it has, has great presence. The, uh, those front DRLs are, are actually really cool. The, uh, the LEDs poking out through the snow as we're getting a ton of snow right now. Uh, has has been really neat and uh, yeah, really big thumbs up for the Santa Cruz. Um, but uh, I I just don't feel like it has as much widespread appeal as as the Maverick as it stands right now. So yeah, I I agree. I mean that was to go back over a year. That was sort of the vibe in the fall of you know 2021 when they were both out there, sort of you know brand new vehicles competing head to head. And it was a situation where, you know, I think people initially thought, wow, the Santa Cruz looks amazing, but it may end up being a little more of a niche product. Uh, and the Maverick got it, frankly, for right or wrong, got all the benefits of being a Ford truck, you know? So I think you get uh, people who maybe are already in a Ford store looking and they're like, well, this could work, you know? And it's, you get that nice sort of middle of the Venn diagram between somebody looking for like an escape or a crossover of something, or maybe they would have been a focus buyer. And then they're in there and they see that and they look at the size that's really appealing or somebody else. Like um, I was talking to this guy again in preschool pickup. Uh, this was last year and he had, I forget what he had. He had a, he had some sort of truck and he just wanted the Maverick. He was like, this looks cooler. That Ranger looks like a truck from 1990 or something. And I was like, yeah, I don't disagree with you, man. Like, so and again, you know, you start to really think, well, it's got a bed. It can do certain things that you need it to do on the weekends. It's enough of a truck-like vehicle for most people, again. So I, I really think there's a, a place for the Maverick on that sense. But the Maverick, you could drive at any point. And then the Santa Cruz is just, you know, the powertrains are really interesting, I think. You know, it's, it's I found it very fun to drive. Um, blasting around. Hyundai did a local drive. It like this like state park, I want to say, and just kind of blasting around uh, through those rural roads when it seemed like everybody was on vacation. This was last August, two Augusts ago. Jeez. Um, so I agree with you. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think the sales numbers like this is a good example of where products don't necessarily have to beat each other. They could just serve their own needs for the, the company. Like it doesn't really matter to Hyundai if they outsell the Maverick, which they probably won't just, you know. You've got a product that wins with a certain customer base, and it's always been well received. I haven't heard anybody give it a really a truly negative review. So I, I would like to drive it again pretty soon. I imagine you're going to have a lot of fun in the snow later. 
Yeah, the the one that I am really curious to drive now that I've driven the turbocharged one is the naturally aspirated one. Uh, yeah, that I mean, from from everything that I've heard, it could be well not anywhere near as good as 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 the turbo, just because those that have driven the new Tucson and Sportage with its naturally aspirated two point five mm-hmm. liter have not really liked that engine. Um, and uh, Hyundai has yet to put one in the press fleet with that naturally aspirated engine. Everyone's been the turbo. Um, but maybe one of these times when when we're going to do a Santa Cruz, we'll actually get to drive that uh, base engine because uh, that's that's a cheap one. And honestly, I bet that's the one that most people will, will be buying that go out and buy Santa Cruz's. So, Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely recommend the turbo. It's... I, the jury's still out on, on the cheap one, though. Yeah, fair. I, I should tailor my comments do apply to the turbo. You know, I, yeah. the other one, like we've driven that engine, the 2.5 and other things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, until you drive it in that, that little pickup, you know, we'll see. It's, I, I also think, too, you might be willing to be more forgiving in some of the other Hyundai models because you're just getting the whatever crossover. You mm-hmm. take the four-cylinder, maybe you're not expecting it. Whereas with the Santa Cruz, I think there is a little bit of a like, hey, you're getting something kind of different, special and new. So you don't want it to drive like a dog. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. One day. Right. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. All right. So we'll just close things out. Um, as long as I have the 330E, I've been talking about it on the podcast. Um, since we last spoke about it, let's see. I talked about slamming. I think I mentioned... When I took it to the airport, I was able to surprisingly get a lot of luggage in the back, three very large suitcases. So that was good. Um, But since then, uh, having returned, I've been, uh, frankly, more aggressive about charging it in my garage, uh, trying to use the home charger. Um, It looks like perhaps given the cold, I know it's like rated at 20 miles of range. The car will say things like you can like you're 40%. And then I look at it and it's like filling up is like 16 miles of range and i'm like okay so it sounds like all i'm gonna be able to get is 16 out of that which again not particularly usable that's frustrating uh it's also frustrating filling it up which i did again last friday that's annoying just it's like the best and the worst of all worlds because you get a small gas tank and you know it's doesn't have much electric range on the other hand what i found is being aggressive about charging it like I will maybe go do like a morning school drop or something, come back, charge it, charges all afternoon. And then when it's time to go out for like an evening, get some takeout or whatever, or go out to eat, you've basically returned what you used in the morning, whether that's anywhere from like five to like 10 miles of range. And you can really start to conserve your, your gas using it that way, which I do think is nice. It's definitely... And, you know, I won't beat this to death, but it's definitely if you have like a charger at your workplace or something where you could just like roll in, charge it like we used to have at our own office, you're good. You won't use any gas for most of the time, but or at your home. But if you're just using like the the level one charger that comes with it, it's always going to be kind of like a, you know, a quicksand, you know, trying to get a little bit in there and then unplugging it, trying to use it, then plug it back in. Um, you know, and that's how I've been using it. I have not pulled it in mainly because of the garage situation, just to let it charge fully overnight. So that is on me hundred percent. I'm not blaming 
BMW or the infrastructure on that, but you know, say you lived in an apartment or something, uh, or you just didn't have the hookup in the garage, you would be reliant on that. So that's a little bit of frustration, but um, otherwise, I mean, it's still fun driving a three series. You know, no complaints on that front. The car is handsome car, sporty to drive. You know, seat heaters, steering wheel heaters are great. I mentioned the winter tires are handling things well. Uh, I don't have to go anywhere today, but I might just go out later just to go out in it. You know, it might be fun. Uh, it's got the orange light pipes that everybody who gets into it love. You know, the interior is kind of an orangish brown or just orangish brown. It's a great car otherwise. So, and I know you had it earlier in the year and you, you've written about some of the charging and the, the fuel challenges. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, going back to what you said at the start there, the uh, the range with like a full charge and whatnot. I I, I did a uh, range test with it um, right around the end of winter um, yeah. last year, and I managed to on on a one hundred percent full charge, mind you, also in relatively cold weather, thirty eight degrees outside. I managed to get twenty five miles out of it. Nice um, for you. So. You know, and that was it, it. It certainly wasn't reading twenty-five miles at 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 the start of the trip. You know, it's reading a much lower number. So, what the actual range estimate, and then what you ultimately get, um, at least in in my experience, I, I found it. You know, it it tends to beat that estimated number. Mm. Um, granted, if you're driving on the highway, that's certainly going to go down. I I used Woodward Avenue for for a range test, which yeah. if if you're familiar with the area, that means you're basically just going to be sitting at 45 miles per hour constantly the whole way. Um, if if you time the lights right, there's no stopping, uh, and uh, yeah, just all the way down and back. 25 miles. Uh, I was I was pretty impressed with that, especially with the uh, relatively low EPA rating. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to get back in in 330e here. It's it's definitely been a while since since I've driven it, and uh, yeah, I mean once once we uh, get past the winter, we'll get the good stickier all seasons back on there and get back to enjoying the three series for what it's meant to be, uh, having fun around corners, which this thing's pretty good at. Indeed, it's uh it's definitely a fun three series to drive. Uh, that's for mm -hmm. sure. Cool, man. Uh, well, I think we hit everything. Managed to get a fairly tight show in here. Uh, I don't know. It's snowing like hell. What's your winter beer or winter drink collection to uh, recommendation to hang out by the fire or after you maybe you do the snowblower, snow thrower, shoveling? Yeah. What are you going to have after all of your winter stuff? I've I've been doing a lot of stouts as of late. Um, yeah. Just feels like the winter mood. Um, I got these uh, barrel aged Guinness stouts not not too long ago here. They were pretty good. Uh, I picked up some some Czech dark lager. Uh, it was um, some some Griffin Claw beer, which okay. is always great. I love love Griffin Claw up in up in Birmingham, Michigan. There. Um, so yeah, that's that's really what I've I've been drinking as of late. Just anything that's that's dark and has. Uh, you know, a nice, nice wintry feel to it, I suppose. I think it's Guinness season. Uh, that's Guinness what I may season. be reaching for. Uh, just I have these, I have the the sort of the tall cans, which just, you know, pours a really nice pint. It has the oh, nitro, yeah. the ball in there. 
So I might do one of those. I also, after shoveling, which I think is going to have to happen, it's really starting to come down here. Um, I don't know. I like to sometimes find whatever, like just like whatever's in the fridge, like a Coors Light or something and just drop that in the snow because <laughs> it's the equivalent of lawnmower beer. And then by the time you're done, it's usually not frozen. If, if it's frozen, you're doing it wrong. But it's just as cold as it can be. And then, you know, you've been outside for half an hour or an hour doing all this work. Another 10 minutes drinking a beer is just a nice way to kind of calm down, recenter. The mountains are blue by the time you're done shoveling, right? We'll see. Yeah, or a bat. We'll see what's in the basement fridge. That's that's what we'll be going for, just like a lager or a pilsner. Yeah. Uh, I know that I have some old no yas in, in oh, those the are fridge good. still. Yeah, it feels okay. It feels a little like a summer beer, but I feel like it fits the same mold as like going to yeah. grab a labat after shoveling. Maybe I'll yeah. do that tonight. That sounds like a, a pretty good idea, actually. <laughs> sounds good. No, yeah, I would go with a no, yeah. And if you like the uh -huh. podcast, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available on autoblog.com if you're looking for more, more ways to get it. However, it is easiest for you. Let me know. Um, again, enjoy, uh, enjoy the snow. Be safe out there. Thanks for hanging out this week, Zach. And we'll see you next week. Bye now.